Welcome to High Gluttony, everyone. I'm Becca. And I'm Gretchen. And today we're on a little bit of an adventure for our first Canna Quest. So we might have mentioned this in our intro, very first Toasted Sugar episode, but we love to supplement our recipe episodes with more informational deep dives on cannabis. And in this one, we do spend a little bit of time talking about some food stuff. And we'll get into that in just a minute. And down the road, we're gonna just keep exploring this topic, trying to learn more for ourselves, hopefully sharing more with you, and hopefully hearing more from you also. So these will happen probably once a month or so, but stay tuned and we'll keep you updated on what the next topics are going to be. Now you said we did a little bit of food talk, and I think that might not be quite setting the stage for what people are about to hear. We had (laughs) a lot of food talk, so (laughs) might um, be called a food quest more than a can of quest, but uh, we do talk about um, doing some infused gin and, you know, the benefits of infusing cannabis with alcohol uh, versus with food or, well, I guess we didn't really discuss the alcohol versus smoking, but we'll save that for a later can of quest. <laughs> yeah, but you get the gist. You get the gist. But then we, we spent a, a bit of time talking about a dinner that I had with my friends, uh, Paul and Kristen, and it was Kristen's birthday. So we did it, we did it up high gluttony style almost like one of those good old dinner parties I used to have. So, oh, once upon a time. <laughs> once upon a time. But, but yes, we spent a long time talking about how I prepared the duck we had as an, as an appetizer and as our main course. We do get into potato talk. <laughs> a lot of potato talk. <laughs> we, we trimmed that down slum for you so that you didn't have to get too much potato talk. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, discuss the souffle I made as well. My second souffle, my first chocolate souffle. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons we wanted to share this meal with you this way is because just as a reminder, I am a vegetarian. And so Gretchen and I are never going to make a duck dish together. And she considers this a level five recipe. And since we kind of wanted to show you a full range of options of what we'll cover from toasted sugar being one to this full duck experience being level five, we thought this might be a fun way to show you that without me having to cook a duck. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to force Becca to make any food she does not actually want to make. Uh, so we, we, <laughs> We, we do at some point want to do some cooking of things where Becca makes the vegetarian version and I make a meat version, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. Um, Lots more to come. We have so many ideas. <laughs> so many ideas. And then uh, we sort of cap it all off with um, what a terpene is. Now, the lady you learned about, the had your initial introduction to, into terpenes with, she said it terpen, right? Like, she said terpen. So I've always heard it as terpene, but so if anybody wants to weigh in on pronunciation of that, please so, let us know. Uh, Once I saw it written out, I pronounced it in my head as terpene also. So I'm going to side with you even without only, I've only heard it from you and this other person out loud. So <laughs> obviously you can tell where my allegiances lie, but that's how I said it in my head too. Well, yeah, because you're smart, you know, but you <laughs> apparently understand how words are pronounced. So it's, it's T-E-R-P-E-N-E. Is that, re- is that really how it's spelled? I thought it was. Yeah, I, I think know. so. Well, maybe I just started thinking that because she was, that's how she was pronouncing it. Turpin. That is how it's spelled. Yeah. T-E-R-P-E-N-E. Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. I was going to say, we've looked at this enough. I always get, you know. <laughs> so we talk a little bit about that. I get to ex- discover what a terpene is and the role it plays in the whole plant. But we are actually going to do a more in-depth dive on, on terpenes at some point when we had a chance to do a little more research. So we've decided that'll be our next can of quest. We'll get into that a little bit deeper. We kind of do a little bit of a, like a surface, like a dip our toe in situation with the, <laughs> the terpene. We talk about cookbook that I have that we'll link in the show notes. Right. The edibles cookbook. We reference that a fair amount. And I think we also decided we needed to explain what jelly bean is <laughs> because we talk about it 
at least in this episode, it is it is a strain of marijuana for those of you who do not know. Maybe some of you do, um, because some of you probably know me in person, and we probably smoke mostly jelly bean together because that is <laughs> Becca and I decided that is for sure what she smoked with me because that's what I've grown for in the most volume over the years. Yeah, that was my first gateway drug, if you will, the jelly bean strain. <laughs> gateway to more cannabis yeah right well but you gotta you know have the right experience that make you want to come back and do it again you know because like there are people that it does not work for or they just get too much anxiety like there are certain strains that like I have um, one of the vape pens I bought I basically decided I had to go leave it in my mom's room because I was like I keep trying to smoke this and every time I do it sends me into a deep state of panic so like so that one (laughs) yeah (laughs) not for me thanks mom for me well you're right because jelly bean jelly bean wasn't my first experience smoking it was just the first time I enjoyed it because did I have I told you the very first time I smoked we had just left this house party it was right it was the summer between college and like real life as an adult (laughs) and there they had a three-foot bong And my friend was like, come on, you should do it. And I was like, all right. I was drunk. So I was like, so I was like, okay, I can do this. So I did it. And I immediately started crying. And I was like, why would you do this to me? Why would you do this to yourself? Who would like this? Like, it was a mess. And I think I broke my ankle that night. So (laughs) not a good thing. Doesn't help either. But mostly, no. This is a wrong, there is a wrong way to be introduced to getting high and there is a right way to do it. I do not approve. Here, here are the thi- here is Gretchen's rules for introducing pot people. First of all, they have to want to do it. They don't want to do it. We do not push this issue. Consent is key in all dynamics. <laughs> Consent is very much key. Little bits, little bits are the way to go. Bong rips very bad idea for a first time smoking experience <laughs> yeah, and like now now, I know. it's so strong that like even like a joint is wrong for like starting off some people like you have to know what you're you're giving to somebody I do think it's good if you have like a pot guide a pot, mm, pot guide even as an experienced consumer I've done well, I ate like, like a half a cookie infused cookie one time and like basically thought I could was gonna forget how to breathe even though I like knew what was happening, it was still very scary. And like my brain would not stop thinking I was going to forget to breathe. I finally had to right. go sit up somewhere. And my mom, they were, you know, my parents come and live with me for the winter audience. So they'll come up Paramount because they'll be here soon. But my mom came and found me and I was sitting in the kitchen. She's like, what is the matter? And I was like, I'm too high. <laughs> It's really high. I didn't even forget how to breathe. And I don't like it. That's horrible. It was so terrible. Like, it's funny only because I, A, fully signed up for it. Like, I ate the, I ate the cookie. Like, I just didn't know how strong the cookie was and uh, did not know that I should not eat more than an eighth of that cookie. <laughs> Consent. Small doses. Make, make sure you're giving somebody either very small amounts if it's something that's strong or giving them that something that's not that strong and with edibles make sure I'm always telling people to start with like maybe a quarter of an edible because the good thing is is that you can always eat more edible it's very hard to eat less edible after the the high has already come on so be careful people be careful and it can take a while with edibles for that to hit. And we mentioned also when we're talking about the infused gin, the cannabis infused gin, that that can hit really fast because of the way that it enters your body. And so yeah. just as a reminder, all of these things are fun when you know what you're smoking, when you know what's in it, when you know yourself and your levels and what is good for you. This is also one of the things I think we're going to explore later, because if there were more information available and more education available, then it feels like a lot of this stuff could be avoided, avoided like all, a lot of these like really bad first experiences or, or whatever, you know? Well, and yeah, I mean, you would have, 
and they probably already have these. I just haven't seen them yet. But like a dosing chart where they're like, they can track basically how much affects you over what amount of time. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case because marijuana stays in your bloodstream so long. Mm. So like the good thing with blood alcohol content is gone in like an hour, like however long. So much easier to come off of that, you know, than it is to come off of a, I had too much weed type of thing with that, especially with edibles. Sure. Anyway, I really didn't mean to get into a whole dissertation on cannabis dosing right now, but there you go. I guess we made up for the lack of CannaQuest part in the actual episode. So we're doing it now. <laughs> a little bit now. We're just bringing up some topics that I'm sure we'll come back to in more depth later. We're just starting this podcast. Therefore, here's an introduction to some of the shit we'll probably talk about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and before I forget, be sure to check out our highgluttony.com website where Gretchen always posts the recipes that we use and the books that we use. We're also sharing tips and tricks on our YouTube channel and lots of fun photos on our Instagram. So be sure to check all those out. And those are all under the name High Gluttony. I guess without further ado, let's kick it off with our first duck experience and CannaQuest. Oh, wait, duck quest a thing? No, that's, I'm thinking of DuckTales with like Scrooge McDuck and... Ah, DuckTales. Woo! <laughs> so it's Canna Quest, the Duck Quest. <laughs> Subtitle, the, really the Duck Quest. <laughs> the Duck Quest. Anyway. All right, have fun. Hey! <laughs> Today, we are making a preserved lemon gin and tonic, which sounds absolutely delightful using mm-hmm. our preserved lemons for this cocktail, which will serve one person, which I was like, I'll save my commentary until after I've read all the ingredients. Uh, okay. So <laughs> we need a quarter of one of our preserved lemons. So we got that out. Two fluid ounces of gin, two cups of ice cubes, or as needed in case you need more ice, four fluid ounces of tonic water, and one small sprig of fresh rosemary. I was like, two ounces of gin? Jesus, they're trying to get me drunk. <laughs> <laughs> they're not messing around on this cocktail. This, this recipe is from this is all a recipe recipes. from allrecipes.com, yeah. which for me is always such a slog because literally they are all recipes. Like you can find like <laughs> seven different recipes for the same thing and none of them are the same. So... <laughs> Helpful, not helpful. So our our method here on making this cocktail, well, Becca tries to get the lid off of her jar, which seems to be a bit, <laughs> bit of a challenge today. <laughs> oh, but I see you're using your or your bee, beeswax. Yeah, uh, the beeswax covers like are, are really good for gripping. That's pretty. Yeah. That's very smart. They are great for gripping. Step one: we're gonna remove the pulp from the lemon and just get rid of that. Not using it for anything in this recipe. And then we're gonna save the peel. We are going to rinse the peel, lightly rinse the peel with cool water because remember this is a preserved lemon, so it's got lots of salt stuff in the peel already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to get some of that stuff off the outside, so it's not too salty. <laughs> okay. And then slice off a thin sliver of peel and set aside for garnish. And we're going to combine the lemon peel, the the not reserved section of peel, so the larger piece of lemon peel and gin in the shaker. And we're going to let muddle the lemon until slightly crushed. And then we're going to add one cup of ice to the shaker, cover, shake until chilled 15 to 20 seconds. Moving on to step three, fill a rock steps rough. Fill a rocks glass with ice, strain the cocktail over said ice, and top with your tonic water. Garnish with a le- the, your sliver of lemon and a rosemary strike. So that sounds delightful. Yeah, this is going to be delicious. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited because like I'd heard about like using the preserved lemon for drinks, like just adding it to like sparkling water and stuff, which I have mm. done. And it is, it is very tasty. The smell on this is really good though. The smell? Yeah, I like I think it's all the, uh, the what do we put in here? Clove and pepper and yeah. cinnamon, bay leaves, I think. So I'm doing, my slice is going to be on the long way. So did you, you already removed the pulp? I did, yes. And I actually just took a second slice because I didn't like my first slice. So I'm going to just throw that back. <laughs> what didn't you like about it? It just wasn't as pretty as I wanted. Mm. Good point. You know, because I'm doing this for myself, I might as well make it pretty as fuck. That's true. There you go. Uh, and I've got my two ounces of gin in my measuring glass. Okay. Which 
always make sure you're checking the volume of things that you're using to measure before you make your cocktails. Partially, this I, I make this note because my dad was making martinis using my measuring glass, which is a four ounce measure, and just getting himself fucked up. <laughs> because he was really trying to put maybe two ounces of vodka in his martini, or gin in his martinis, and he's ending up with four ounces of four gin. Four ounces per martini. So he was getting, he was like, I don't understand why this is fucking me up so much. It's like, and then he realized that this was four ounces, not one <laughs> or two. So yeah, very important to measure out your alcohol first. Yeah, properly, <laughs> properly measure your, your alcohol. Double check it. <laughs> I mean, unless you're going for getting incredibly fucked up, then, you know, have at. But right. I still haven't invested in a muddler, so I'm going to use my rolling pin here. Yeah. How long will these preserved lemons last now that we've opened them? Well, they've got so much salt in them, they'll probably almost never go bad. Mostly, I see mine, like, the salt starts to recrystallize as some of the liquid comes out. Oh. So you'll get more more ice crystals than anything else. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I have some brownness along the rim where the lid was. You were, But you're using a, a metal lid. That's probably why. The salt is leaking out. Okay. They they have these nice, like you can get these nice plastic lids at uh, Target usually. Okay. Is where I get them. These are a leak-proof type. They used to make a different type that was like cheaper, flimsier plastic, but now they're making these really nice gray ones that have like a, a better seal inside. Okay, so that's the way to do preserve. Yeah, because the metal's just going to eat, or sorry, the salt's going to eat your metal. That makes sense. My rocks glass out here. I don't have a rock glass. I'm just using wine glasses. <laughs> Whatever you got. Right. Mine's not, mine's not really a rock glass either. I just call it a rock glass because it's <laughs> fakely rock glass. So it's a, it's a squat little thing here. You know, so. <laughs> and I'm also, so I am using fever tree tonic, which was suggested on the recipe. Okay. Uh, but I have the refreshingly light tonic water because I only recently realized how much sugar is in tonic water. Yeah. We um, have been drinking Q tonic water for the same reason for a long time. This was yeah. recommended to us a while ago. I, I know about the Q. I, I'm also using my cannabis infused gin. Oh, I can't wait to talk about how you, that you made that. All right, so you filled your glass and yeah, you... I am ready. Your... I drained mine. I almost okay. might pop a little bit of like the salty water from... Ooh. Or the salty juice from in the... Mm-hmm. I'm put that in there. It's like, can't even tell that there's preserved lemon in there. Well, that's a little more. the purpose. Right. I want a little more. I want it in there. Yeah. We want to taste that salt. Well, and this is called salty lemon gin and tonic. Yeah, they're just. I want. You. I want. I want to. <laughs> right I want to taste the salt. Yeah, I'll taste it. And then top with tonic and add the rosemary. I'm gonna sit my ass down. I stood most of the day yesterday. Got seven thousand steps in just running around my kitchen. That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking, I'm sure. I know. That's like a light day. Yeah. At the High Gluttony headquarters. At the High Gluttony headquarters. What is that? We were talking about. Oh, it's the high gluttony hideaway was another term we came up for it, ye- for it yesterday. We should take a picture of our cocktail. I, I did. I already You're did. You're on it. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm <laughs> trying. I'm so glad you did. Hopefully because I'm like, all right, I'm ready for my drink now. Yeah, ASAP. Bring my water over here. Get my pipe over here. Don't look at me like that, Kenzie. Don't judge me. Judgment-free zone, Ken. Oh, that's- yeah, I don't. Definitely think that a little bit of the salty lemon juice from the jar will not be undervalued in this application. It takes that saltiness up a little bit and you get a little bit more juice. Well, how was your Saturday? We went to a dispensary. Oh, really? Yeah. How much of a drive is that? This was an hour and a half. Oh, that's not too bad. No. And it was really cool. It was weird. (laughs) Okay. It was weird. It was weird. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Hooray. Mm. Hooray. That's good. Yeah. That's really I was good. mostly mostly getting gin before. And so I was like, yeah. I want a little bit more of that preserved lemon quality in there. So yeah, that was my Saturday. We got up super early to get there early and 
it was really cool. So that that's great though, because like I was like, how are you going to live without having a dispensary nearby? Um, yeah. I put a little dash of salt on top of my beverage just a second ago to amp up the salt a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you did. Sprinkled it right in there. Right in there. Yeah, <laughs> right on top of the guy. I love it. Like, yeah, I want a salty drink. Yeah, man. I like this. I like this a lot. I do too. It's really refreshing. Really refreshing. I ended up do, ended up doing a little bit more gin than it or uh, tonic than it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll, I will probably top mine off with some at some point. So let's talk about how you infuse your gin. When you're infusing alcohol, usually you want to kind of go with a little bit more mild amount because alcohol crosses the, can get into your bloodstream so much faster than like other edibles where the fat is going to be processed pretty much exclusively by your stomach and your digest tract. So it takes a little bit longer to get it in you versus alcohol, which you can absorb through your mouth and hits that bloodstream a lot faster. So you have to be a little bit careful about like how much you do. And so the recipe I used, you, you got to decarboxylate your pot, like we talked about back when we did the sugar. Mm-hmm. It's a similar process to doing the caramelized sugar where it's breaking down into a different chemical compound. So heating up your thing so that it'll turn into the active ingredient, TCA, or what is it, THCA? THCA is the original com- chemical compound, and then you need to change it from that because that's not psychoactive into T- THC, which is the psychoactive. So you have to toast up a little bit of that. Yeah, and check out our toasted sugar episode for some more in-depth explanation of this decarboxylic. <laughs> I realized I've never had to say it out loud. <laughs> De- decar- decarboxylation, yeah. Decarboxylation. Is that right? Am I putting words and letters in there that should be in there? Hold on a second. Well, that's the only word I know now. So, yeah, decarboxylation. So, decarbing, as we're going to call it, because it's much easier to pronounce. Thank you. Right. So, breaking it down, decarbing is the process of turning the non psychotic THCA to psychotic THC. Yes. Psychoactive. Sorry, (laughs) not psychotic. (laughs) Plus. A little bit further. There's a few more. <laughs> so I did, I took a, a cup of, or well, they're, they're using metric measurements in this guide. So they want 250 milliliters of your alcohol and seven grams of decarboxylated pot. Uh, cannabis. Cannabis. Okay. <laughs> so that just toasted cannabis. Yeah. I, and I mean, seven grams is not not a lot. Uh, okay, so that even it goes even further after you've infused it, which you do on a low heat to simmer lightly at, at around 160 degrees Fahrenheit for 30 to 60 minutes. So you you need to keep it under 170 degrees because at 170 degrees you you've got your alcohol is super active and it can light on fire. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So you want it under 170 degrees so that you lower that risk of you know having something that's gonna catch fire. Minor detail. But then you take that infused alcohol and dump it back into the full 750 milliliter bottle that you, you probably have of alcohol so that you're even taking that amount, the strength of it down. So I'll, I'll take a little, I'll grind up some pot and do and do a little image of how much seven, uh, seven grams. Great. Uh, so technically you're only infusing the 250 milliliters and then you're just adding that to the. Right. Right. You're adding whatever. that back to the rest of your alcohol. That's yeah. So you're so you're with the word. I was gonna say watering it down, but stretching your infusion further. Dispersing um, it. Yeah. So you're key like because part of it is like when you heat the alcohol, that's gonna change it. You know. So like you're gonna excite the particles in it. So some of the aromatics might change. 
So by taking a small amount, infusing that small amount, and then adding that back to your liquor, you're going to have that much nicer, like, pure mm. liquor. You know, it's, it's going to taste more like the original thing versus if you took the whole bottle, tried to infuse it, it would change the flavor of it, maybe in ways you don't like. So it, it just sort of dummy proofs it so that it tastes a little bit better. <laughs> Um, but also then keep your dose nice and low so that you're not going to fuck yourself up with it. So, I mean, this is just really a starting point because if you have a high tolerance, higher tolerance, you could always monkey around with your proportions of how much pot to how much alcohol. But being mindful of the fact that alcohol will enter your bloodstream a lot faster, so you're going to get fucked up a lot faster than if you just ate it. Right. So. That makes sense. So I, I might be kind of down to the end on my infused alcohols at this point. I might only have the gin left. That's probably because I don't drink as much gin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time to, we got to do an infusion episode. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. We got to pick something. Uh, I, I wanted, there's, there's a bottle of tequila. I want to buy for the bottle. Which <laughs> Oh, that's the right thing to be doing really <laughs> right because <laughs> it has a swing top on it and I'm like oh, I want that swing top bottle <laughs> but I could also just buy swing top bottles that'd right. probably be smarter hi in that. hi bunnies it's Aria Aria oh. and pod yeah oh no pod's going back out for another round you can do it yeah I can put a a Tupperware that I cut holes into under my desk because he wasn't using it in his cage. And so I put it under my desk so that they could like sit on top of it and stuff. And he, now he loves it. And he like, hasn't looked in it in months. Today, he pulled everything out from the inside of it and throw it all over my office. So now I'm going to have to like clean up in there before I go to work tomorrow. <laughs> what are you doing? He's like, yeah. dig, 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 dig. <laughs> I don't want this shit in here anymore. <laughs> very decisive when he he he's, he's very opinionated opinionated about where shit goes in his cage. So <laughs> we don't try and boss him about it. He knows what he wants. Yep, so. he's got agency. Bunny agency. Yeah. We have we allow our bunnies to have agency here. <laughs> yeah, the bunnies we cats have a lot of agency. <laughs> we we. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> the only one making official decisions here. <laughs> that you think that you know of. Yeah. <laughs> well, clearly I listen to the opinions of my animals very heavily. So. <laughs> you yeah. had a good day yesterday. I did, I did. It was very... Uh, very impressive, actually. Um, it well, so I started. I picked up my duck. So I made. I had Paul and Kristen come to visit. It was Kristen's birthday, so Paul was saying, "Let's make something extra special for her birthday." And so we settled on duck. Mm -hmm. uh, so I went and picked up a duck from a fatted calf Wednesday afternoon. So I had plenty mm -hmm. of time to do all the shit I need to do with it because we also okay. decided that. What we really wanted to do with it, because initially we were going to roast it, but then I decided that I was going to take the legs off and do duck confit, and then I would take the breasts off and then cook the breasts as like our main. So we had the duck confit before dinner as snack, and then we ate the breasts for dinner, which was actually perfect. I have a whole duck leg left of uh, tasty snacks to have later. This week I'm going to have fancy lunches because Paul also left me all of the cheese and charcuterie that he brought. So lucky girl i know it's like you're just yeah, he's like yeah we're gonna leave this with you awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're not gonna, i'm not gonna have to make shit for lunch this week that's gonna be great and when somebody so, asks me what i'm having for lunch i'm gonna be like charcuterie and cheese just a normal tuesday tell me about duck confit so duck confit uh, uh the the origins come from trying to preserve your meat so there's like salting and drying and smoking which you can do just, just the salting and drying or salting and smoking or salting, drying, and smoking if you're really impressive. Or you can cook it in its own fat. So this is like 
thing I'm thinking of that they make with pork, pork riette, hmm. is basically a way of preserving pork. So it's pork that's either braised or cooked in the fat and then shredded. With duck, you take the legs off, you cook them in fat for about an hour, and then you just leave them in that fat. So you want to have your fat be as clean as possible, and um, like don't you don't want to get anything like carbohydrate in there. It'll make things go bad much quicker. I miss Anthony Bourdain losing the Leal cookbook because I was like, the last time I made duck confit, I kind of fucked it up, which I was very disappointed in myself. But I guess it's been a minute since I made it. So I like cooked it for way too fucking long and turned it into jerky, basically. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was very hard to chew. <laughs> Bummer. Did you buy the whole duck? Yeah. Yeah. So I saw the carcass and neck that I need to do something with, which I was just going to roast it and turn it into stock at some point. You isolate the fat yourself? Well, I've done that before, but this time I bought extra fat because I knew I wasn't going to have probably enough fat to start with because I'd given all of my, I think I gave all of my goose fat to Paul last Thanksgiving. So I didn't really have any duck fat hanging around because I've, because I'm really bad about labeling things. Like for a professional chef, I suck. At labeling stuff at my house so I'm always just like I'll remember what this is and then it's like six months later I'm like I got no fucking idea what is this smell test what is this it smells weird I think I might just get rid of it so yeah, <laughs> so, yeah so I bought some fat did you, you just buy it from like the butcher yeah yeah okay um you can buy duck fat since since frying things in duck fat has become such a fad, at least in high-end cooking circles that I usually run in, mm-hmm. I think. Pressure you shoulder. You can find duck fat in a yeah. lot of places. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that you could have. But now I have more because I rendered out all the fat from the duck breast before I finished the duck breast on the grill. So I, have, I had more duck fat. So I've actually got the leg I've got actually in fat right now in an effort to see how long I can keep it good. If, if the leg will go bad first or if I'll eat it first. Now that that is my quarantine challenge. <laughs> What's the timeline? Theoretically, if you put it under fat and it's sealed so that there's no air touching the, the meat at all, it should stay good for months. Like, what does is, what is Anthony say? What kind of container do you have it in? Right now I have it in one of the basically the same container I just did it used as a cocktail shaker. It was a pint and a half jar. I see. Um, like it was, we ate the one that had kind of cooked and gotten real fat. And so this one was sort of more long and lean. So I could put it into this jar and then put the fat around it. Cool. So we've decided, well, Gretchen has decided that making duck is probably a love live recipe well especially especially if you do it the way i've done it this right where you know you have to buy the whole duck you have to take the legs off the duck then you're confeing your duck leg so one of the steps before you even get into putting it in the fat you have to take the, the legs off usually season them with a little salt and pepper and leave it overnight yeah anthony Bourdain just used, used salt i actually put salt and pepper and thyme on mine because I've definitely seen people do like almost like a spice rub on it before letting it sit so you get a little bit more flavor infusion but just plain old probably going with just salt is going to make it more stable versus adding other things because the more things that get into there the more chance you have for things to go bad (laughs) Got got it if you're just doing salt salt basically well not basically salt does not go bad as few things in there, the lo- the longer it'll keep. So you want you want to let it at least sit overnight because you want your skin to dry out a little bit. You want some of the moisture to come out a little bit. I mean, I think there was probably maybe a quarter cup of liquid in the little pan that I had them in after I took them out of the out and put them in to cook, and then put them in a, at the container, melt your fat in a different pan, and then pour it over. So I have like a little, like a cast iron small dish, perfect for doing things like this, because like it has a little lid on it. So I can mm. basically put the fat in, you put the lid on, stick it in the oven for an hour at 375 degrees. And then if you could pull, wiggle the bone a little bit and get sort of, sort of separate from the meat, that's one way you can check for your doneness. You can also poke it with a fork. Your fork should go in it easy. And if you could separate the meat a little bit, then you know you're solid. Like you don't need to cook it anymore. Okay. Pull it off the heat. So I cooked it probably like I think it started at like nine o'clock and then 
it was done by 10 and then I let it sit at room temperature just to cool down some before I put it in your fridge because you don't want to put something really hot in your fridge because that's going to bring up the temperature inside your fridge and you oh. don't want to do that yeah. okay um yeah it's not smart to put hot things in your fridge because it fucks with your fridge temperatures and that makes you want to keep that as consistent as possible <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I put it in the fridge overnight and then the next day I got it out and had it at room temperature and then when we got our charcuterie and cheese spread done just pulled it out of the fat and Paul shredded it right up and started eating it it was amazing Paul had sliced a baguette and so we put the stuff on the baguette with a little bit of a cherry mustarda I made a few weeks ago so it's like a sour vinegary mustardy kind of topping yeah put that on top of the duck and it was so good and then I made some peach like it was supposed to be like a peach jelly almost but it turned out to be a little bit more syrupy than I would have liked from like a jelly but but that was also very yes my mad Gretchenist experience experiment (laughs) also mad Gretchenist experiment experiences oh uh, there you go there you go <laughs> the only one that's experiencing them usually is me like some people get the end product but anyway so yeah we, we we had fun experimenting with putting different things at the duck and and eating it that way but then that we was just the leg that's just the leg so this is definitely yeah. why this is a world five experience with duck right then then <laughs> Then you really get started. Then we really get started. So I left the, the rest of the duck so that like the breast would dry a little bit. Like this because I really wanted the skin to dry. <coughs> get a little I'm getting a little fucked up from this gen. Yeah, it's kind of it's good. Feels good. I'm getting it's good. Yeah. I might up from the input. <laughs> so that slightly dehydrated duck, I took the I took the breast off the actual body. <laughs> separated the breast yes yeah i separated the breast from the body oh this could turn into a murder podcast really easily couldn't it i kept calling it a carcass too which i don't know that <laughs> what else do you call it skeletal well, <laughs> let me go grab my duck skeletal system with some muscle attached no but you're right that doesn't roll off the tongue like carcass <laughs> So much easier just to say carcass. So I removed the breasts of the duck from the duck carcass. Got it. Scored the the skin and then flipped them into a pan, like salted them a little bit. Flipped it into a pan and then had Paul chop up the herbs for me. But it was a a little bit of lavender, rosemary, sage, thyme. I think I brought him a little bit of savory too from the garden. Chopped that up. And with my duck confit, I had, I'd thrown a little bit of garlic, some garlic cloves in there. So we smashed some of those up with the herbs and put a little salt in there and made it like a rub to go on the, the muscle side of the duck. Mm-hmm. So we rubbed that on while it was, the fat was rendering out from the skin. And then I went, I went and started the grill. So I ended up finishing it on the grill. And then Paul, he's like, oh, should we put honey in that? And I was like, no, if we're going to put it on the grill, that honey's gonna burn so I was like I don't know if we want to put it into our like herb rub yeah but I kind of like the idea so I actually made like a salty honey and once it was on the grill and cooking I once it got towards the end I put a little bit of that on the skin part of the skin so on the fatty part of the duck and just like let it soak on like soak into the duck and it was amazing. Like, hands down, some of the best duck I've ever made. Wow. So, yeah. So, this is definitely, like, if you're going all out, this is the world five. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. This is definitely a level five meal, really, because then we also did duck fat fried potatoes. I bought some lion's mane mushrooms at the farmer's market, which we did try. We actually fried in the duck fat, but then we went outside and had a smoke for a while Uh and came back. And by the time we came back, they'd soaked in all the fat. So they were not as good as like when they'd first come out of the the fat. Yeah. That was something like we basically could have had that as an appetizer just like right away. Yeah. It was, it was so good when you pulled them out of the fat and they were still crispy and like how did you get the potatoes diced or uh quartered Mm. so i that so we peeled them anytime i'm doing like a roasted potato these days i call upon um heston blumenthal who did a series called in search of perfection we'll have to get into heston at some point because his food is ridiculous okay (laughs) 
for lack of a better word. I mean, like, yeah, what, what, that, that can send me on a whole tangent. Whole but anyway, other, yeah, no, then let's focus here. Focus here okay. on this peel. So you, quartered, um, you peeled it and quartered it. Yeah, so you peel, take the peels and tie them up in cheesecloth and add them to the water with the quartered potatoes. That you get that little bit of nutrients that are in the skin because that's like usually the most nutritious part of the potato is actually the skin that has the most like vitamin and other things, content. I might need to reuse regular alcohol for cannabis and cocktail chat. Might be too much. <laughs> kind of fucked up right now. I mean, well, I like I'm fucked to... up, but I'm very no. loose. <laughs> That's good. I, I need to catch up on the Canada site. Is it a nice smoke? Yeah. It's the lion's mane mushroom. So they have like these little like fibers all over them. And so when you fry them, those just get like little and crispy. And they're so good. And duck fat, especially. Does it like burn at a higher heat or something? Uh, a bit. Like it, it works really well for frying a lot of things. So I sent you a picture of kind of like all of the sides there on the stove. So you have the plum sauce that I made in the pan that I rendered the fat of the duck out in. So uh, you did for, the plum. On the breast. So yeah, I did. A, I took some of the fat out, like, but I didn't clean the pan really. I just left, you know, the, what do you call it? The drippings in the pan. Okay. And then sauteed the plums in that. So like a, a little bit more savory component to it. Uh, In the next pan pan over, there's uh, Romano beans, which apparently are not as common as I thought they were. I picked those up up at the farmer's market yesterday, and I really like them. The long, thin ones? Yeah, they're like really super long and thin. Mm -hmm. Behind that is the fried mushrooms, which in that photo doesn't really do them justice. And then the duck fried potatoes are next to the green beans. Got it. On the stove. On the stove. Uh, Potatoes. Yes, back to potatoes. For, for To make like the best fried potatoes, you actually boil the potatoes first, you know, soft. Quarter so them first? You, well, you cor- quarter, quarter them, then boil them so okay. that they cook. And then Heston Bumlinville says to like toss them to rough up the edges a little bit. So that They get like some of these little like nooks and crannies that the fat will kind of climb into and get like crispy. So they have a little, little more extra texture and then fry away. For how, what temperature? Uh, I, I just do them on the, the stove, so it's like a medium-high heat. Okay. Uh, so it definitely was smoking in here, and that, that was the potatoes, not, not just me and Paul smoking. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of smoke happens. Yeah, we, we mostly were smoking outside yesterday because COVID. Right. I was like, I haven't smoked with anyone else since, like, the pandemic started. Oh, man. But, yeah, duck fried five potatoes. But getting the right kind of potato for that is really important. So the, the variety that Heston Blumenthal recommends is uh, Maris Piper potato, I believe, which is not a something what? you could, yeah, it's a, like a super heirloom variety. You'd have to find some specialty person that, like I've tried to get the seed potatoes for it and it's really hard. Mm. Uh, so it must be either more common in England or this guy's just got the hookup because they're like, I think you've got golds are okay. I'm trying to remember the type that I've used before that has been the best because I, I bought some Yukon Gold from the market yesterday and then I went to another more specialty vendor and asked them because they have some different types of potatoes, you know, which one would be the best fried potato. They were definitely good, but they didn't get as much, as much fluff on the outside of them as I would have liked for when I was roughing up potatoes. Uh, they were still a little too waxy in my opinion which is usually the problem with Yukon Golds. They're a little too wax. Those ones often are used for uh, mashed potatoes, right? Yes. And they make really good mashed potatoes because of that waxiness. Yeah. Well, no, because like you don't really want, because usually as far as waxy potatoes go, red potatoes are usually kind of the waxiest. Hang on, let me grab my book here and see if that's one of my many books. <laughs> Which book should I use? I'm going for I'm going for my pro chef here. Where's the index? <laughs> so that for French fried potatoes in here, they're saying baked potatoes. So maybe I actually want to go as far as getting russets to do next time. Sorry, I didn't realize I was going to have to go into depth on potatoes. So I was not. Prepared. Well, we don't really have to even do this either. <laughs> we can just. What? <laughs> no, you. You've asked a question, and I must answer it now. We must have the answer. So we're, we're going with what Pro Chef says on this. 
The professional chef, actually, is what it's called. Oh, but we call it the pro chef. Yeah. <laughs> Around these parts. Uh, Around these parts. <laughs> so this is the three main varieties they give you in this. Low moisture, high starch. Moderate moisture and starch. High moisture, low starch. So your high moisture, low starch. Huh. Well, new potatoes. And some fing fingerling varieties. So anything that's harvested when less than an inch and a half in diameter. So I guess part of this is also the maturity of the potato. A new potato is tender. So these are the type you would usually make like a smashed potato with. Mm -hmm. And does not need to be removed prior to cooking or eating. So your low moisture, high starch, which are the ones that are best for French fries, et cetera, et cetera. Low um, high starch. Yeah. Okay. So this is your Idaho or russet, usually known as baking potatoes or bakers, because this also says, and some fingerling varieties. <laughs> okay, but you said that under high moisture, low starch. So now, yeah. now you're confusing me with your fingerling varieties. So the flesh is easy to flake or mash. These are desirable for baking or pureeing. Also good for frying because the low moisture content makes them less likely to splatter or absorb grease. So that's why they typically are used for like uh, fried uh, French fries is because they don't absorb as much moisture. But we might have to do the best fry at home fry recipe that I've ever found, which I do believe uses yucca and gold potatoes. But so in your moderate moisture and starch, you do have your Yukon gold. So your moderate moisture and starch, this includes red skin potatoes, waxy yellow potatoes, and certain varieties. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So fingerlings are in everything completely unpredictable. Every kind. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, don't go for if you need potatoes for a specific type of thing, <laughs> you need a specific type of finger of potato, you may not want to reach for those fingerlings because you fucking don't know what you're gonna get no. with that shit. So never trust a fingerling. <laughs> never trust a fingerling. <laughs> what we've learned today. Number one, <laughs> episode title, Never Trust a Fingerling. I got right. We got it. <laughs> We're done. Wow. <laughs> done with that. So it looks like I may have been using the wrong potatoes yesterday, but they were pretty good. I always wanted to be like the first few times when I made that Hesta Blumenthal recipe, and they just like get so, mm, so Can't good. get there again. And I guess I've just been going with my wrong, the wrong type. So Maris Piper must be a low moisture, high starch potato. Uh, okay. So the search continues for Maris Piper potatoes. Let us know if you have it, if you can get, if you can get, get it, seed yeah. for it. Let me know. Get the potatoes. I would like some. They'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. The other thing that I did yesterday that I've never done before was a chocolate souffle. Okay. Um, what level is that? Oh, uh, well, okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to say something, and this just might be coming from a place of, I know what I'm doing, but <laughs> I don't think souffles are as hard as people want you want to make them out to be. I did, in preparation, <laughs> watch the episode from the Great British Bake Off where they made chocolate souffles as one of the technical oh, challenges. Good prepare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was like, what, what am I looking to avoid as far as mistakes? Yeah. And I thought it was hilarious because every single person, it was one, it was a, a semi-final. Every single person was like, I've never made a souffle before. I have made one other souffle. I made a souffle early this year. I made a lemon souffle and it was delightful. Getting the egg whites to the right whip is really essential. The recipe actually said, you'll know you've got enough if a, a raw whole egg will sit on top of the whipped egg whites. So I was like, well, fucking now I have to try that. Better test it. Yeah. That's a weird ass instruction. I was able to pull off that whole process. And I had a little help from Paul and Kristen, but like in less than an hour, like from start to finish getting it out of the oven wow totally okay. um i was like why does everybody talk about how souffle is so hard this wasn't yeah. hard yeah just i don't know if, just a few steps it's you know i and i can understand like getting the egg whites folded in the right way getting your stuff folded together in the right way not having too heavy of a hand with it you're gonna you know your quality is gonna be a little bit different but like really souffle is not as hard as some people make it out to be mm -hmm. um and 
maybe that's just me knowing how to cook it. Like everybody's told me for so long, it's so hard. Right. I'm like, it's really not. Both of my souffles so far have come out amazing. So is it just me and I'm really just that good with food? <laughs> or is it as easy as it seems? Okay. So. Do you think people are intimidated by eggs? I mean, I don't like eggs, so I don't usually like work with them. But I wonder if it is, there's like a, like you tend to overthink it or something because you're not, like it's not something you make often. Right. I mean, that is possible. I, I could see that. Uh, Paul is like, did, you know, some people serve it with a type of cream or like, I guess people make like a Grand Meunier cream, like heavy cream with Grand Meunier in it and then put it onto the souffle. And I was like, oh, well, I hadn't That's heard of that before. Yeah. yeah. But we went with um, some of the ice cream I have on hand here. We actually decided I had made a fleur de lay with the, the caramel sugar and some vanilla bean in it. Okay. So we tried that with it, and then we also tried my passion fruit ice cream with it, and the passion fruit ice cream is actually the clear winner of being a really good pairing with the this dark chocolate souffle that I made. Okay. Passion fruit and chocolate is, I think, my favorite fruit and chocolate combo. Really? Mm-hmm. I do not, don't, don't, don't put any fucking bananas anywhere near my chocolate. First of all, I okay. don't like bananas in anything. I like bananas by themselves. I don't like them in anything. Interesting. Okay. I don't really, I mean, probably strawberry and chocolate is my next favorite. I don't really go in for the raspberry chocolate, which a lot of people do like, mm -hmm. but I, it's, I just, it just doesn't do it for me. I think it's just like the sharpness with the passion fruit. I just mm -hmm. don't like what it is. It's like mm. magic. It's like magic to me. It's very unique. I mean, you're, you're not going to find passion fruit chocolate at Seas Candy. <laughs> right. Well, I, so I think the, the jelly bean. So this yeah, actually okay. makes for, for an excellent segue into our, our last topic that we kind of yeah. decided to discuss for today, which is terpenes. The pot chocolate that I make with that jelly bean infused butter tastes like passion fruit to me. Oh, interesting. So that's why you were saying to make it into ice cream. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> so yes, that was that was the whole thought logic behind. Oh, well, if I toast it and then I put it in ice cream, then my ice cream will taste like passion fruit and will get me high. Like, how Amazing. could that be bad at all? Yeah, that's the whole world. <laughs> all the world. Yeah, I'll I'll think that is where my brain is right now. Passion fruit and chocolate. I you know it's like it sounds so weird to me. It makes more sense to put raspberry with something, but I just don't like it. <laughs> That's not my thing. <laughs> I like it with other things, just not with chocolate. I don't want it anywhere near chocolate. I'm like fruit and chocolate. First of all, oh, well, I guess banana isn't the worst one. Hate orange and chocolate. Hate it. Hate it. <laughs> I can see that. It's like, like soapy or something. Yeah. It's like a weird. Yeah. But passion, passion fruit and chocolate is where it's at for me. So. All right. Now we know that. Now we know that. Number one, Gretchen rating. Number one. So obviously the combination of terpenes and jelly bean leads to that passion fruity flavor. So terpenes have, uh, are actually multi-purpose. And I found a lovely chart in one of these five books that I have next. So can I tell you why I had this question? Yes. Yes, you can. Because I yesterday would like to when, know. Yeah, <laughs> so yesterday when we went to the dispensary, it was one of those places where it was really interesting because if we got there early, we got there at like 8.30 and it opened at 10. And we yeah. were the second, they had the parking lot closed off. It was a huge parking lot, huge, just like warehouse kind of out by itself on the outskirts of this like teeny town. Super weird. So, because <laughs> we had planned on like parking a couple of blocks away and walking over and not making it very <laughs> obvious as we drove back where we had been. But <laughs> well, you you are hey, you you're thinking your things through. Okay. <laughs> right. So we get there early. We're the second car in line. So they're not even letting people into the parking lot. You line up in your car first. Cool. And then yeah. And then about fifteen minutes before ten o'clock someone comes over and gives you a time slot. And then oh. you can go pull into the parking lot and when it's your time slot you go line up. Okay. Very yeah. efficient. Very efficient. I like Fully it. efficient. Yeah. 
And they said they would text you too. We neither of us got a text. So, you know, if that piece worked even better, but it was fine for what happened. So then you get in and there's a, a long wraparound line and everyone is standing, you know, six feet apart and masks are required. So it feels very clean and sterile. And yeah. then you walk up to like a bank teller system and yeah. they say like, I'll take the next person and you walk up and then you tell them what you're interested in and what you're looking for. And then, or you could have also looked at the menu online and known like exactly what you wanted. Okay. So I walked up and said, I have this amount of money to spend. I want <laughs> this amount. Tell me what I should buy. So one of the things she said, so I've always paid attention to the THC level and thought that that was like the best indicator of what your like high level would be. So I had in mind, if I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to be looking for like the highest. <laughs> I want to use the smallest amount of pot, right? For my buck, you know, like. Exactly. <laughs> so she told me, so she brought back a couple of options and they were on the lower THC level. And so I was kind of like, well, talk me through like what this decision was. And so she said, one of the things that you want to look for is the turpin amount, because that is what helps with prolonging the high and what helps with balancing the psychoactive properties, which I had thought was always like just CBD. Yeah. Um, but so she said that the higher the TAD, the faster the high you'll get, but the shorter length of it. So that a lower THC will give you like a lower THC imbalance with, I don't know what like a turpin amount would be. I don't know what that means, but like whatever the balance is of that extends your high, helps with like more of the pain management properties and helps manage the psychoactive paranoia piece that can happen with like a higher THC amount. So mm -hmm. I was really curious about it because I had never no one had ever talked to me about turpins before and I have had medical like cannabis licenses, you know? So it was very right. interesting to me that like, so you were like, tell me about this thing I don't know about. So yeah. So I thought I'd bring the question to my local, not local cannabis expert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had always been under the impression that it, that the terpenes were mostly and I think part of this is also like that there, there is actually some amount of like studying being done on marijuana now, like where they're getting a much better uh, understanding of how it all interacts together. For the longest time, the THC was the only thing that most people considered. But there are so many different compounds in cannabis that you, you, it, oh, it would wow. make sense. Yeah. That, that chart I sent you. What is this uh, from? Edible. Edible. Thank you, Edible. Which has my favorite marshmallow recipe in it. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying because there's so many elements, we're only just now starting to explore more about what they individually do and then what they do as a collective in, right. in the whole sort of weed. Or, right. Uh, it, the whole cannabis plant and the plant. Thing. Consumption yeah. of said plant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and because this is an amazing book. Not only are the recipes in it very good, like it, extensively tested, it has a lot of great information in it. And I mean, the stuff about terpenes. The, so it's pronounced terpene? Terpene, yeah. Okay. How are they pronouncing it? She said terpene. <laughs> and I was like, huh, like turpentine? Like all I could think was turpentine, which yeah. I didn't really want to associate with what I was smoking. But. Yeah. So it, it's basically like the flavor. This is sort of interesting because this is as terpenes, fragrance, flavor, and feeling. So I hadn't realized that that was a, a component to it, is that those specific terpenes contribute to feeling. So and that's flavor, pretty. Flavor and what was the third thing? So it's fragrant, flavor, and feeling. So like flavor and flavor and fragrance are pretty well married together because you can't, if you can't smell, you okay. can't. That's I why see. when you're sick and you like can't taste anything, that's why. Like mm -hmm. your sense of smell is a huge, huge part of your sense of taste. Sure. Basically, it makes up most of your sense of taste. And I think there are more than are listed on this page. I'm, I'm pretty sure there are more than just these, but these might be the main, like the main ones you find in the pot, I'm guessing. There might be some explanation to this chart somewhere in here, but... 
we're just going to read the charge itself right okay. now. So you've got myrcene, caryophyllene, limonene, lanolpinene, nerolidol, nerolidol, and humulene, I think. Don't know. Maybe. Sorry, so what were those? Those are the types of terpenes that are at least listed on this page. Ah, I see. So, so these are the like categories, yeah. like bigger umbrella categories of those. Yeah. So, so you just sent me this and what I'm finding interesting is that the also found in part. Yeah. Yeah. So most plants have terpene in them. Most plants. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think it really comes down to, it's like the chemical compound that makes up the aromatic in a plant. Okay, so let me read. So, for example, myrcene, is that what you Mir said? Uh, myrcene, M-Y-R, mir. Yeah. Myrcene, so also found in hop, mango, lemongrass, and pineapple. Yeah. Fascinating. To dig in a little more to that specific one, the aromas and flavors are cloves, earthy musk, tropical fruit, and the therapeutic effects are antidepressant, sedative, muscle relaxant, pain relief, and anti-inflammatory. Yeah. So can you get some of those same things from these other things? From, from yeah. hops, yeah. mango, pineapple, that kind of thing? Yep. Okay. So let's take caryophylline, the next one over. Okay. Cedar, oregano, and black pepper. So those are the flavors, so, aromas. Those are the flavors and aromas. It has neuroprotective, anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, and gastroprotective qualities. So cinnamon is something that you can find this in. And cinnamon is an anti, something that uses as anti-inflammatory. Same with um, black pepper, right? Yeah, black pepper. They, but they usually put that with, um, oh, no, that's a whole different, that's a whole different thing. Scratch that. This is fascinating. Yeah, I was not aware that that they had to, obviously, I don't read all of them. <laughs> Just here. I'm just here for the recipes. That's all. <laughs> but I would think that from this this chart that probably jelly bean probably has a decent concentration of the myrcene because it has a kind of tropical aromatic to it. And it, it it's always been, yes, antidepressant. Yes, totally. for sure. I remember when I first started smoking it, it was just always like, oh, I feel much better about everything right now <laughs> yeah for me it was the the pain relief piece of it yeah and the sedative piece of it mm -hmm. if that is the same if if that's all the same in that mercy in that family yeah so Can it makes a lot of sense something? yeah so as part of a screenshot screenshot Gretchen sent me from this edible book it says terpenes or terpenoids are also an important factor and play a role in the overall entourage effect Cannabinoid-terpenoid interactions amplify the beneficial effects of cannabis while mitigating feelings of anxiety that can sometimes be brought on by THC. So going for your highest level of THC is probably just going to end up producing a little bit more of like anxiety. Like Right. So. If you don't have a balanced amount of the terpenes. Yeah. Which maybe we're getting too much into it for this one conversation. <laughs> but... We, we can do some research and, and come back and talk about it a little bit more. I I'm doing that so that I'm not feeling like I'm just going to sit here and want to read this book out loud. And right, 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 which is what we're doing. <laughs> Any research on this, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I know how it all works. How do you, do you start merging strains together that have higher and higher THCs or something? And that's how you keep building a strain that focuses more on THC. And how, I'm just, I don't know how any of that works in terms of like, is it just a gamble? You never really know what your THC level is going to be at the end, or do you get an idea of it based on the strains you're using? And the, I'm just, I just have These a These are all of excellent questions because, I mean, so jelly bean, it's a hybrid. So I'm guessing, yes, there is some, like, as far as like people have been growing it for so long, I mean, getting it tested and knowing like the exact THC level and all that, that stuff is relatively new. I mean, like mm -hmm. since we've had medical marijuana for what, at least 10, 10 years now, right? Like if they've had mar medical marijuana in, in some states. In some places. Yeah. I think, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know enough about it. 10, 10 feels like a lot to me. California has had medical so it's before I moved here and I moved here in 2008. 
So I think Only they might have your doctor. You'd have to get like a prescription. Yeah. Okay. So, so for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More than 10 years, at least 12 years. I'm pretty sure they passed medical here in what, in like, must've been like 2005. Cause I know it was a few okay. years. Like it was one of the main reasons I wanted to move to California. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. At least now the research is coming around to it. I think was the point. Got it. Why I started down that path. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I guess I'm a little, little sleepy right now. What? Yeah. Ginger's here asking what I'm doing. What, what'd you use to infuse the gin? Jelly bean. Ah, well, a sedative. <laughs> so it makes me feel better because I've been smoking it before bed because I'm like basically out of like nighttime weed at this point. And I was like, totally. Is the best strain to be smoking before bed? Because usually I, do, I used to exclusively smoke it in the daytime. So we have a lot to, to keep talking about that. Yeah, we have our research cut out for us. I mean, I knew it had something to do with it, but I hadn't realized that it was quite so interconnected. But I guess I'm I'm a little behind in my research on being a pot expert. Some expert well, I am. <laughs> I am not an expert. Let's, let's highlight this right now. I am not a pot expert. I'm a pot aficionado. Aficionado. I'm at that, yeah. Am I at that level? Am I an aficionado? Maybe I'm not quite an aficionado. We should rank it. Yeah. Enthusiast, okay. I think maybe probably my enthusiast. A consumer? I think maybe mm, that's yeah. what I have at this point. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, how would you quantify <laughs> the different levels? But I was like, well, I probably do know a bit more about it because I've been growing my own for what, like eight, seven, years? seven or eight yeah. years? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think at least eight. That's a tent a long time. Almost a decade. That makes you fairly expert in some some pieces of it. But clearly, I need to do more research. Oh, that's why you're over here. I have a treat. Wait, Ginger is over here being all up in my face. I don't know why. It's like, um, excuse me, you have the things I want. <laughs> I'm sorry, you Fine. haven't noticed. I'm trying to be very patient, but <laughs> you're doing a terrible job. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So. So these episodes are meant to be kind of a supplement to our recipe reviews that ha- will happen. Yeah. We're looking at three to one or something like that. We'll do one of these once a month or something. Right. Yeah. So this would be a once a month because then we're going to do like a pa- a pantry power up type recipe. I did send some of my pickled limes home with uh, Paul and Kristen, Paul and Kristen yesterday. Kristen. That's nice. Always handy for, for to, both parties. Yeah, they they love coming here. It's like we started with uh, we had some of the ginger beer with some of my fruit, my ice cubes ice. that I've been making, and they were just like, "What? What? These fruit exactly. ice cubes? Sorry, exactly. what now? How right. are you making things more fancy again? Like, <laughs> right? Exactly. When you're like, oh, it's so simple. I just it's just these two things. Yeah. Oh, I just, you know, I cook the fruit a little bit and then I so send it through my jelly bag and then put that in the ice cube and freeze it. And now I have peach and I have uh, <laughs> blackberry and there's some lemon in there too. So, you know, and then it's, it's incredible. It's, it's only when other point people point out like how that's not normal. No. But I'm like, oh yeah, I'm kind of a weirdo. <laughs> Well, you have an idea, and you find a way to execute it. So that's just—it's just the matter. I guess have a good evening. Yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time to okay. go. All right, another successful tiglet. I think so. Yeah. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.